Okay, so this is established 101, covenant four. Moses, Egypt, and the plagues. Yeah. All right, so Exodus chapter one, verses eight to 11, where we'll pick up the story here. It says here, starting at verse eight, eventually a new king, speaking of the Pharaoh, came, came to power in Egypt, who nothing about Joseph or what he had done. He said to his people, look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and are stronger than we are. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't, and if a war breaks out, they will join our enemies and fight against us. Then they will escape from the country. So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. They forced them to build the cities of Pithom and Ramesses as supply centers for the king. All right, our pharaoh. King, pharaoh, kind of interchangeable there. So this new pharaoh didn't know Joseph. Uh, or the way that God had used him mightily, how he had used him to, what, interpret the dreams of the previous Pharaoh, of how he had such insight to uh, span this, the famine that originally brought the Israelites to Egypt, where uh, there were stockpiles of food. Um, so Pharaoh sees this, and what does he do to the Israelites? Slavery. Slavery. Yeah, yeah. Tries to control them because he's starting to fear that they'll rise up against him if there was a war. And at this point, Israel seems helpless to do anything about their situation. At this point in time, how would you guys feel? If you were, if you were an Israelite, how would you feel? You're oppressed, it says, with hard taskmasters or uh, slave drivers. Brutal slave drivers, it says in the, in the NLT. How would you guys feel? There's no uh, government to bail you here. Abandon? You say forsaken. Hopeless. Yeah, hopeless. Not much like God's chosen people. Yeah, starting to sort of crush that that thought that we were we were God's special people. Yeah, I mean these guys were whipped. They're driven brutally hard. I mean, I imagine it would be terrifying. Um, the rest of Exodus one states that God actually ends up blessing Israel. In spite of the hardships, it kind of goes against um, logic, human logic anyways. Their numbers continue to increase. Um, so yeah, the population increases so much that, what is Pharaoh, do you guys remember? <coughs> Exodus, it's, you know, actually verses 15 and 16. Can you remember what he says at that point? The number increases, so then he puts another thing on them. Kill all the male babies, right? Yeah, the Bible says it right here. Then Pharaoh, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, gave order to the Hebrew midwives, Shifra and Puah. When you help the, the Hebrew women as they give birth, watch as they deliver. If the baby is a boy, kill him. If it is a girl, let her live. Wow. He's getting desperate to control things. I, I ass- well, I don't know. <laughs> well, see, from, from an actual... The warriors, the fighters, I guess. When you try to control a herd, you take out the females, because regardless of um, how many 
males there are, the females will be impregnated. Yeah. Yeah. So for population control, it's not that effective it's to just go male. Effective, <laughs> but I think as far as strength control, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, would be my. So he probably wanted the numbers, just not the yeah. strength. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because it would be the men that would uprise against yeah. a nation as, as for war. Yeah. They're even whipping them, eh? That's right. Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah. It was abusive slavery. That's right. So, the Bible says in Exodus chapter 2, uh, 23 there, that years passed and the king of Egypt died, but the Israelites continued to groan under their burden of slavery. They cried out for help, and their cry rose up to God. So, Israel cried out, and our God, our ever-present relational God, heard them. And he begins to, well... He always had his plan implemented, but it, we have this appearance of like the, the plan is implemented again. It was always ensuing, but we see sort of this act of taking place again. Um, who is working it hard in behind the scenes to stop God's plan of a promised deliverer here? The enemy. Yeah. God's enemy, the adversary, Satan. We can imagine <laughs> that Satan was tempting in their minds, influencing, manipulating even the Pharaoh, right? Oh, of course the Pharaoh, uh, for his purposes. Uh, enslaving them, killing the baby boy. This is, this is evil in action. Let's see how God rescues uh, Israel from slavery in Egypt. Exodus uh, 2, 1-6. About this time, a man and a woman from the tribe of Levi got married. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She saw that he was a special baby and kept him hidden for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she got a basket made of papyrus reeds and waterproofed it with tar and pitch. She put the baby in the basket and laid it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile River. The baby's sister then stood at a distance watching to see what would happen to him. Soon Pharaoh's daughter came down to bathe in the river, and her attendants walked along the riverbank. When the princess saw the basket among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it for her. When the princess opened it, she saw the baby. The little boy was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This must be one of the Hebrew children, she, she said. So when, when the baby was born, here I got a picture of it here. See Moses' mother putting him in, a, in the reed basket. And then on the right, you see Pharaoh's daughter drawing him out of the water, smiling on him. He's all crying there. When the baby was born, his parents knew the command of the king, all Hebrew baby boys, to be killed. But it seemed like, I mean, maybe they were a bit afraid, but it seemed like they had a courage here. We're going to keep him for, it says in the Bible, three months. And then really, really trust him to God. I mean, I don't know what all was in the Nile River besides water. But I'm sure there was a lot of other things that could harm a baby. So at this time, they, they, they truly just released him to God, surrendered him entirely into God's full care in a basket, helpless, left to the environment, vulnerable to you know, animals, drowning, whatever. One thing that I found really interesting in study for this, do you guys know uh, what the Hebrew word for that basket is right here? Um, it's called Teva, T-E-V-A-H. And it's interesting that it's actually the same Hebrew word that was used for Noah's Ark. And 
and they are both they were both vessels of rescue i just think that's like kind of like one of those when you when you see some of these hebrew word overlaps it just kind of gives you goosebumps you know just as noah's ark rescued him and his family and the animals um, this little ark rescues noah or uh, moses which as we know will go on to rescue uh, god uses this to rescue his people yeah so Teva, vessels of rescue. And then you can think of that, where else we're going to eventually hear the word ark later. Um, and I think it's the same. I, I, I don't know that for certain, but I think it's the same, Teva. God protected and provided through the most unlikely source. Who was it? Who drew him out of the water there? Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh's, well, it says her servant, but yeah, Pharaoh's daughter. She had compassion. He was crying. She ended up naming him Moses. Drawing him out of the water, there's a connection with the naming there, and raised him in Pharaoh's house. His mother nursed him. Um, his biological mother nursed him because she was a wet nurse, but it was her mother. Um, but he was raised in Pharaoh's house. Um, it's interesting, I think, here, Satan has a plan and a desire to destroy God's image bearers. But this right here points out to me how powerless Satan is against God and God's sovereign plan. Uh, God in, uses Satan's schemes to advance his plans by having Pharaoh's daughter take in kind of an enemy, like you know, a, pers- a personal enemy, and raising it under their roof. And not just raising it, but training him. You know, training him in all the best that Egypt had to offer uh, of, of language and, and um, fighting and knowledge and just everything. Acts uh, chapter 7 has a lot. I won't dive into all of it there, but if you want to this week, read Acts chapter 7. Um, you know, Acts, uh, verse 22, it talks about Moses is being trained uh, in, by the Egyptians. Um, yeah, it's just a deeper part to dive in. It says God was well pleased by Moses in, in Acts 7.20. Um, and I, I also think it's interesting to draw this tie between uh, verse 25 of Acts chapter 7 and uh, where the deliverer will, some of the truths of the deliverer that some of us already know. But uh, we read that Moses was rejected by his brothers, like, you know, meaning his people. Um, you know, and just again, you don't have to say it, but who else was rejected? They, they were to be a deliverer. They came to deliver, and yet they were reject- he was rejected. Um, so here Moses was being raised up by God to be a deliverer of his people. And, and in Acts 7.25, we know as it ties into Exodus, he was rejected at a certain, initially, by his own people. Just the parallels are just so beautiful to draw in God's word, to see them connection. And so God was ensuring that Moses' protection would, would be in place, bringing him up in order to rescue the Israelites from slavery and then take them still to his, his faithful promise of the abundant land in Canaan. This was all part of God fulfilling his promise to Abraham still. It doesn't stop. <clears throat> when Moses was 40 years old, he kills a slave master when he witnessed one of his own being abused. And in his attempt to help, he ended up, as uh, Amy said so nicely there, he had ended up having to flee from Egypt because um, that right, right around there was when he was kind of, in a sense, being rejected by his people. It's like, who are you? You know, you did, are you the one that just killed? What are you going to do? You kill us? Um, and, and he ran. He fled. 
And then Israel remained in captivity again when you mentioned Moses was in the desert for another 40. Well, Israel, where was Israel? What was happening? Their situation hadn't changed. They're still in the grind, severely. Did God forget? Was God like, was all of God's attention over on Moses now in the desert? And oh, just like kind of, oh, right. Oh, yeah. Where, where was God's thinking? He was still with them, right? We know that God is everywhere at the same time. He's a good God. He cares. He provides. He was still there in Egypt with, with his people who were enslaved. Pardon? Oh, I don't know why it's copping out on me like that. Maybe I'll just hardwire it. <clears throat> nice to have fewer cables but when they don't work and that's not nice either <clears throat> will that transfer for me there now okay good so God was God in His sovereignty. Um, as all as Moses had ran out, God was setting the scenes uh, for everything to take place, that it would be clear that He would be Israel's one and only deliverer, a rescuer. He was setting it all, making it <clears throat> just prime, <laughs> I guess you could say. So let's contrast what's happening here in the scene and bring it down to to some of some of our world here today. Um, so the hook, God protects, provides, and pursues. And right now we're seeing his people kind of helpless, helplessly bound in slavery. Um, what are some of the similarities between us and Israel here at this time? I mean, we have Pharaoh who's oppressing. Um, let me just jump here for the picture, at least to this next one. We have, we have Pharaoh here oppressing the, the Israelites, who he's kind of an, uh, uh, an image or he's definitely an instrument also of, of Satan in some way. God is still sovereignly using him, but there's some overlap of, of Satan and Pharaoh. And, uh, but then as we think of Israel and us, what, what do you guys see as, as some parallels here for their bondage and their, where they're at in this part of the story to us today who are born in, in sin? Any ideas or? Yeah, he uses the word "we're slaves to sin." Yeah, so anyone who's born in Adam is is in bondage, in slavery to sin. The Israelites are; they too are born in sin, and they're also physically in bondage as well to Pharaoh. <clears throat> yeah. We can do nothing to save ourselves either. Right. They're thinking, how, there's no way out of this. And, and if we are honest with ourselves, we can say the same thing. There's no way out of my sin. I can't, there's nothing I can formulate here. There's no escape plan that I can manifest or create. 
Anything else come to mind? That part about the deliverer, um, and, uh, <coughs> somebody to deliver. We've had six million people, or how many million people that have the Israelites have gone into this nation? Hmm. It's not just a few people. Who right. They could rise up, but still, Pharaoh has that oppression over them. And we ourselves are in that spot that we still have that oppression over us. Yeah. Like our theme verse, John ten ten. You know. He seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. I mean, that was then, that is now. Yeah, he's still, that's Satan, still Satan's goal. I mean, he led the Egyptians to enslave and destroy the Israelites. That, that's his desire for us today, quite frankly. No more Christians, he just kills, kills steal, and destroy. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. But as Christians, we have a, we have somebody on our side, or, or we're not on our side, but we we're on yeah God's side. God's side. Um, I mean, Satan even sought to prevent the deliverer from coming. Mm-hmm. I mean, Pharaoh wanted to kill all the babies, and that would have also killed Moses. But God again still orchestrated that whole scene that Moses wasn't killed, and God used Moses. Um, he binds us today, blinds us from wanting to see the deliverer through the word. Um, I'm just trying to not make sure I'm not repeating ones you guys said. Pharaoh controlled the, the lives of the Israelites. Um, today, our thinking, our character, attitude, speech can also be influenced by, by sin, darkness, Satan. Um, God alone could free Israel through his deliverer, which he was using Moses. And today, our only hope is through God's one and only deliverer. All the truths that we face today were true for them there too, but the, the, the history that took place is a manifestation of also the rest of like kind of playing it out, right? The slavery, the bondage, the hopelessness, helplessness. Um, we might not be physically enslaved in that same sense or oppressed by a, you know, a king, but there is an overlap of what Satan still wants us to be oppressed, blinded, captive, you know, all of those things. But what about a little on the brighter side, as we were saying? Did God forget about the Israelites? Does God forget about us? No. He didn't abandon them. He doesn't abandon us. It seems like Satan in this world today, like the enemy seems to persecute us in a way. Well, it says there will be persecution. Persecution yeah? coming. Yeah. But I think we still got it pretty darn good in Canada. You just listen to some of the Christians in Iran and Iraq, and then you get, you get a, bit, a little bit better perspective on what persecution is. Um, I mean, the Israelites still flourished under slavery. God preserved them. Does God not give us life and protection in this life today as well as to come when we come his way by faith and repentance? Yeah. Yeah. So as the Israelites at this time, um, they're crying out. They were, they were crushed in their spirit. They were stripped and beaten and they were fearful of Pharaoh. What about today? What's, what does our culture today see as the real superpower or the real influence of who, from the human perspective, we think we should be bowing down to? I mean, the Israelites were beaten into submission uh, uh, to Pharaoh. What are things today that people, maybe you're not beaten down, but... 
see as a superpower that kind of has the final, final say. Superpowers of today. I'm not saying superheroes. Superpowers or, or influence like government. What is it? What, what, how does that play out, Judy? Yeah. Laws that defy God. Yeah, and that's it. Yeah, that's on the increase. Yeah. All this stuff with euthanasia, that's, yeah, drugs. Yeah. Yeah, gender freedom in quotations, like yeah. what we think is free is actually further bondage. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> what about what about this superpower? Yeah, yeah. The dollar sign. Who do you serve? <laughs> Just today I was reading in uh, Proverbs, it's like don't pursue wealth. It has wings. It has a tendency to fly away. And I was like, I've ne- I feel like I've never read that before. Like, I don't know if I got a new Bible today or what, but I'm like, yeah, I get that. You know, you got a hundred bucks and it's just like, poof. Like, where did that, oh, $10 on that coffee, which was way too much. And, you know, <laughs> what it's gone. Yeah. What else? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Th- you, you are your own authority. Yeah, yeah. There is no absolute wrong or right or, and that's all bound up in that. Like, don't you dare question me. If I say this works for me, you can't tell me it's not going to work for me and work out for my best. Tolerance. Yeah. It's that concept of my truth. Yeah. Instead of the truth. Yeah. Well, it's my truth. I'll speak my truth. Well, that's not truth if it's not true all the time. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. That kind of contradicts what truth is. Yeah. Everyone totally. knows what is right and what is wrong. Yeah. How about... Uh, how about the, the big official cross... <laughs> You know, whether it be the, the Pope or the priest or religion or the pastor. When I was in uh, Alaska, there was a lot of traditional, like the, the Russian Orthodox kind of influenced rural Alaska. And um, we were an evangelical native Bible camp. And, uh, and word would go around, like if you associate with them, the, these evangelical Christians, you can't come here for the forgiveness of your sins. I won't forgive you of your sins. 
like you know the, those in religion religious power would state these things to the people or I won't give you your, when you come time to die I won't give you your last rites if you associate with those Christ, so-called Christians so talk about spiritual manipulation and abuse and, and a superpower and, and people sometimes would or more often than not too often would uh, bow to it and that and that's recent yeah yeah exactly right yeah sexualizing everything sex sells that's the motto yeah you got it the largest industry in the world yeah, there's more sex, more sex trading today than ever. In the states alone, pornography just just pornography section makes more money than pro baseball, pro football, and pro wow. uh, soccer combined. That's insane. Like it blows them out of the water as far as a, 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 an industry goes. It's the the fastest growing and, and the biggest in the world. And people say they don't have money. Yeah. I mean, just as God desired the Israelites to trust him as their, as their number one owner, ruler, the one who cares for them, God still has that for us, even if we're confused with, with these things. This, ever since Adam and Eve plucked that fruit, people have become increasingly confused. Who am I? Am I a boy today? Am I a girl today? Am I, you know, fluid in that today? Am I going to bow down to the, the paycheck, the boss who's going to promise me that raise and sacrifice my family and sacrifice my, my Christian morals to get there. God still says, I am the only one. I am the triune God. He's the only one who was there in the beginning, right? Was, was money here? Did, did we see dollar figures back here? Or, or uh, you know, priests or popes back here? No, God. The only one who has ultimate authority is the triune God who was there before the creation of anything who never had a beginning, is self-existent. The one who protects, provides, and pursues perfectly. So in our second part here, um, da -da -da -da. we're going to be jumping into, as I've touched on already, just there, uh, so we, we have this helpless humanity, and we're going to see again how God pursues and desires relationship, this Yahweh Lord that, that God introduces himself as. Um, so he, in this section, God appears to Moses in a burning bush. He gives him a name. God reveals his name, the I Am. Um, he declares his covenant with Moses. And then Moses is sent to free Israel, not without balking. <laughs> um, so... We're going to read, well, some of my slides aren't lining up here perfectly, but Exodus 3, 1 to 6. Gen or, sorry, what did I say? Exodus. Did I say Genesis? No, you said Exodus. Oh, I did. Okay. <laughs> Exodus chapter 3. <laughs> what? Yeah, blunders. Exodus 3, 1 to 6. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father, father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire in the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. Interesting. God appears to Moses in a flame, a flame of fire in the midst of a bush. 
burning but not consumed? Of course you'd go closer for a look, wouldn't you? I've never seen this before. I'm sure he's lit a lot of campfires in his day. And then he starts to introduce himself. Um, where does it say it here? The father, the God in verses, uh, verse 14, just jumping to the latter part of it. The God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. Just prior to that, I am who I am, he tells him. Interesting. So he's, he's saying, I am the God of your ancestors. I am who I am. There's this fire happening, so just put all these together. We're seeing God's holiness. We're seeing his glory. This manifestation of him, if you want a fancy word, if you, you know, I had to learn this too and relook it up today again, but it's called theophany. Do you know that one, Becky? Probably you know that one. <laughs> a visible manifestation to humankind of God. Theophany. T-H-E-O-P-H-A-N-Y. If you want to sound smart, like I want to try to sound smart tonight. No. <laughs> How do you spell that? Theo. T-H-E-O. T-H-E-O-P-H-A-N-Y. I'll read a few more verses there. Uh, 7, 8, 9. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and the Jebusites now live. Now look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. What relational words do you see in these few verses? Yeah. Seen the affliction. Yeah. Seen the affliction. Yeah. Yeah. He's going to bring them. Yeah. Exactly. I have seen. I have heard the cries of people. I know their suffering. I have come down to deliver them, bring them out. Are these not all signs of God's great care? Mm -hmm. Verse 10 says, Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people of Israel out of Egypt. So, did God ask Moses? Want to go? <laughs> You've all told, more like it. Go! Go to the land. I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead the people out of Egypt. Why did God have the right to tell Moses that? He made him. Yeah. So I have, yeah, ultimate, where I'm at here. Here you go. Who is he? Is he Moses' what? Creator. creator. Yeah, and as his creator, he's his owner. As his owner, he's his ruler. <laughs> but why is that not a bad thing? Because he's awesome and good and loving. Yeah, exactly. 
so later we know Moses kind of balks. He convinces his brother Aaron to join him as a spokesman. While Moses was still at the burning bush, he had a question for God. Let, let's read it. 11 to 14. So this is what God's word says. Moses protested to God, Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? God answered, I'll be with you. And this is your sign, that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. Moses protested, If I go to the people of Israel and tell them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, What is his name? Then what should I tell them? How far did I say I was reading? 14. God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. I give you the shivers, Amy. (laughs) Why is Moses asking this question of God? What do you think? This is the answer, but all the other gods of those nations had names that people didn't know. Hmm. That's an interesting thought. Yeah. Can't say that's wrong. (laughs) I mean, it could be a factor. I don't know. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And even in that, do you think it could have been a pushback, a second sort of pushback on God? Hesitation. It could also have been the rejection that he faced um, after he killed that Egyptian slave driver uh, and then tried to reason with the two Hebrew men fighting. Right. Heavy in his mind. Yeah, you know, it's forty years later, but but it would be the last words from his people to him. Yeah, yeah, some doubt. I mean, in verse eleven, I see he got a pushback. Well, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? It says that Moses protested to God. It says in the word. So then here in 14, well, who am I, if I go, basically, like, who am I saying sent me? Like, I, I kind of see this as a second, another pushback on God, on God commanding him to go. Um, did God rebuke Moses for asking this out of unwillingness or reluctance or fear, whatever that feeling was? Did God rebuke Moses? Not yet. No. Not yet. Not this time. I think, I mean, right here, they're in they are in a relationship. The one true God met Moses where he was at and was revealing. He was bringing him along. And so names are important. I mean, names are important today, but it seems like even back then they held a lot more uh, substance. 
God gives his, gives his own name to Moses. He reveals it. And he um, just talks about the oath. This name, the oath <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Yahweh, the, this breath word, right? The, which actually we put the, the vowels in there, but apparently it was more of like a Yahweh back then. So God refers to himself as I am who I am, Yahweh. It's, and as, Be- as Amy said so well, it's, yeah, L, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D in the Bibles. Wherever you see that, Lord, in our Bibles, it's the I am who I am, which is Yahweh. And Yahweh means eternal, ever-present, self-existent, existing, covenant-keeping, God of holiness, love and grace. And this is the Yahweh God who seeks to bless not only Moses, but us, within a, this relationship with him. He's the God who doesn't give up. This is the one. I love, I read this little Bible book for our kids. It, it's, uh, if you haven't heard of it and have little kids in your life, even if you want to read it, it's called the Jesus Storybook Bible. Really good. And, and this, is a, this is a quote uh, here that I really like. It, it repeats this many times throughout the Bible, set, or throughout it. It says, God won't ever stop loving his children with a wonderful, never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. You know? And don't we see that through the story? I mean, we know that people are made specially in his image because with the angels, he gave them no chance when, when they rebelled. But Adam and Eve, we see it in the garden. We see it with Cain. If you do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. But if you do what is right, you know, Noah preached for 100, 120 years, a preacher of righteousness. God wanted to not give up. Tower of Babel, he comes down, he's like, no, I still have my will for you guys to scatter and be dispersed. With Abraham, he makes promises. He delivers, you know, he doesn't give up. Lot was righteous. He doesn't break the promise that I've declared you righteous. He brings them out of Sodom before he destroys Sodom. You know, Isaac was righteous. He had a substitute, stepped in his place, and that's a foreshadowing because God doesn't give up. It just keeps going and going. We see that thread of the deliverer through now Jacob and Joseph and onwards, and, and here we are now where Moses is. And he's still, he's revealing more of himself. I am who I am, Yahweh. I, I just love that. Just a simple way to put it. Wonderful, never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. We should all, like, we should all embroider that and put it above our toilets or something. And just, you know, every day you get to look at it. <laughs> it's like one of those kinds of things, right? Cross-stitch. Anyone cross-stitch here? Can you make 20 of them? <laughs> um, let's read Exodus uh, 3, 15, 16, and 17. says here, starting in 15, picking it up again, God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. Now go and call together all the elders of Israel. Tell them, The Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me. He told me, I have been watching closely, and I see how the Egyptians are treating you. I have promised to rescue you from your oppression in Egypt. I will lead you to a land flowing with milk and honey, 
the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. So it says there in 17, I have promised. How sure is that promise? If I said I got 100 bucks for each of you, I promise you after this, are you going to believe me? <laughs> Probably not. I wouldn't. But God, <laughs> my tracker is kind of shady. What about God, though, who can't, can't be anything but perfect, as he says, I promise to rescue you? How sure is it? Yeah. His track record is perfect. It's flawless. He's never not done what he said. And anytime anyone tried to buck his system, he still accomplishes what he set out to do. Yeah. God is relating, um, watching, seeing God of your fathers. God is reminding Israel, you know, he's saying who I am. I, I, of a, he's reminding them of the covenant promise. And God promises to fulfill his promise. <laughs> wow. So let's continue further in the story and see how God understands also our helpless situation. <coughs> we can't disconnect ourselves from this story. We are there. We are born there, at least. And we need a rescuer. And he has the same desire to pursue us for a relationship. Let's go, uh, just going to jump ahead to Exodus chapter 6. Uh, I actually also have it up here. 6 to 8. If you're, if you're one who likes to mark up your Bibles, mark it up with the I wills here. Let, let's read this one together out loud. Therefore... Say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Wow. So we see this perfect track record. We see all these I wills. And yeah, the, the Israelites, they've been oppressed. They've been broken. Their spirits are less than intact at this point in time. But... How many times saying, say this to them. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. Why did God need to emphasize who he was and all he is and all he would do? Yeah, that's another parallel. Yeah, they're broken. We're broken. They'd lost sight of who their God really was and is by thinking that Pharaoh was their God, perhaps, and that they were unable to be helped. God first revealed this intimate name, Yahweh, after the creation of Adam in Genesis chapter 2, verse 4. In that name, God revealed, I believe, and I believe he wanted us to understand the same things he wanted Adam to understand, these following things that he desires a personal relationship in a unique way with us. That's why I think he gave us these chances that he never gave to the angels. We were created uniquely for a unique relationship with him in a unique way. 
God doesn't have the same relationship with animals. He doesn't have the same relationship with angels or the creation. And I believe that he wants mankind, humanity, to truly know him for who he really is. He is eternal. He's self-existent. He's covenant-keeping. He's holy. He's loving. He's gracious, merciful. Yahweh, the Lord, the ever-present, the eternal, ever-present, self-existent, covenant-keeping God of holiness, love, and grace. And he seeks relationship with us. I mean, look at this list back here behind me, God Almighty. Why do you think God would emphasize all of these, but eternal at this point with Yahweh, eternal? You're in a spot like that, that's all you can see. The sort of presence there, the time you're under. They're in this subjection, the punishment, the, the persecution, slavery. You can't see beyond that there's something. Hmm. And eternal is they've got hope. They've got hope. Yeah. It also kind of puts them into perspective. They're, they're thinking, wow, we've been here for 400 years, which is a long time. <laughs> but then you put it into perspective and you're like, oh, yeah. that's a splash in the puddle. Yeah. <laughs> like, exactly. Putting things into perspective is. Very helpful for us little humans. Well, it's like we're building a massive tower. Well, I'll come down and look <coughs> at it. It's like, yeah. we've been enslaving you for so long. I'm the eternal God. And it's yeah. Just, it's like it's putting us into perspective. There's a dependability with, it, with eternality. Yeah, you can keep the covenant that he promised. And so, right, I promise to bring you out. You've made that promise with our ancestor Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. You're going to continue. I mean, and all these other gods or spirits or religious leaders were so much less than that because they had a beginning, these false gods, these, these idols. So this Yahweh, Jehovah, the existing one, existing one, self-existing one, is one who has no beginning, no end, and he will keep his covenants, as Becky said, and so, yeah, it just it makes them so high and above anything else that they're faced with of other gods, of Pharaoh. Um, I mean, I'm sure they would have seen a change, a change of hand, you know, with the Pharaohs who claim to be a god. I mean, I, I love the names of God. Um, the one true God is so awesome. Like, he gives us a couple names. Well, we often just use God today. Um, and it's like this, I, I don't know if I've used this analogy with you guys before. Someone else, it's, I, someone else told this to me. I didn't think up of it. But it's like his name and the Bible. It's like it's just an envelope. It has a message in it. And it's designed to just get, get from point A to point B. And I feel like God's name kind of gets you from point A to point B. But there's so much more. There's so, so much more. It's just an envelope. And, it, and he just kind of reduces himself in a sense in a name. But yet his name is so much more. And, and have you seen some of those posters where there's just all these different names of like the El Shaddai, the Lord God Almighty, or El Elon, God Most High, Adonai, Lord Master, Owner, Yahweh, Jehovah Ra, or Roe, the Lord is my shepherd, Olam, the everlasting God. These are all names actually that are mentioned in Genesis so far. 
Um, I didn't want to, I, I had some of them on the projector, but I didn't want to kind of overwhelm you guys. Um, Elohim, God, Judge, Creator, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Don't jump ahead of me. Jehovah Sabbath, the Lord of hosts. And then that one you mentioned is a little later in Exodus. And then we have other ones in Ezekiel um, that I won't mention yet. But, uh, you know, all these names will provide, will heal, will judge, is the Creator, is the Lord of hosts, is the Lord Almighty, is the Most High, is the Master, is the Shepherd, is the Everlasting One. Wow. <laughs> I love those names. They're so cool, hey? Like, There's a name that Hagar gave. The Lord, we see God who sees you, Elroy. Hmm. Elroy. Think of all that, like, that God sees us. Yeah. 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 And he's the door. Yeah. Yeah, we'll hear him referred to as there's the door. More, there's more to it, too. Uh, there is. You're right. And I have a, a circle thing with, with God and... Uh, and the Godhead and everything, mm-hmm. and it explains Jesus, everything that. I mean, with, with, with these names, so I don't want to cover them all. I just want to cover the ones that kind of we've seen revealed in the narrative so far. Yeah. Um, so where have we seen El Shaddai? Where have we seen God all-powerful? Everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere. Just give me one. Everywhere. <laughs> the flood. The flood. Creation. How about El, I don't know how to say this one right. Elyon, L-Y-E-L-Y-O-N, Elyon, the Most High God. Where have we seen him as the Most High? I don't know, Davos? He's a god Davos. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Casting down Satan. Yeah, that's topped up. Yeah. Yeah. How about Adonai, uh, the owner, or Lord Master owner, Adonai? Where do we see him as owner? Adam and Eve. He put, them in, he put Adam in the garden. He, yeah. How about uh, Jehovah Ra, or uh, Roe, the Lord is my shepherd, the one who nurtures. Where do we see him nurturing so far? Adam and Eve, Noah, Abraham. Caring. How about El Olam, the everlasting God? Creation. Yeah. The animals. How about Elohim? Judge. The flood. Satan. Yeah. How about Jehovah Jireh? Provide. Isaac, you said? Yeah. Yeah. Substitute lamb. Um, This one might be a little trickier. Jehovah Saboeth, Lord of hosts. Creation. Angels ascending, descending. Yeah. Yeah, and the angels did his bidding and worshipped. Yeah. So just yeah, there's more, but up to this point, we can see all those in many of those stories. Isn't that cool? That's what I really noticed when, when Kevin, you did your part, and then it just hit me. That's why I was I was sitting here going back and how do each of those relate to something back before with that sacrifice was when he he sacrificed um, so that they had a covering. Like each of these stories relate back. God brought in what was acceptable. He took what wasn't acceptable, inadequate, and and provided what would be. He provides it. (laughs) Can anyone or anything but Yahweh rescue each and every person? Only Yahweh. Only Yahweh. Yahweh. God protects, provides, and pursues. 
And in our language, we have such a limited the Lord. Yes, I know. God. Yeah. But in Hebrew, it's like. Yeah, like technicolor. <laughs> technicolor, hey? Yeah. Totally. Okay, into our third section tonight. We're going to see more, and we've covered this, but we're just, it, this is in the narrative, so we're just going to highlight it again, that just God is all-powerful and sovereign. Um, in Exodus chapter 4, just briefly, Moses returns to Egypt, tells the leaders of Israel they believe and worship. Exodus 5, Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh, but we hear of his hard heart. God punishes, or uh, Pharaoh punishes Israel. God displays his power through the plagues. So, we're going to dive into a couple verses, uh, starting in Exodus chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. We'll read what happens as God confronts this evil king who enslaves and seeks to destroy those who are loved by God. So we get into this double meaning. I, I've already been kind of hovering around it and touching on it, but Satan and Pharaoh, Satan and Pharaoh. There's sort of this two sides uh, overlap of symbolism. Exodus 5, 1 and 2. Does somebody want to read that for me? Pretty cocky. How did Pharaoh respond to the Lord's Lord Yahweh's command? He's a joke. Yeah. Who? Who? Yeah. Who's the Lord that I shall obey his voice? Good game. Get in my presence. Yeah. Get out of here. He refused to listen. Refused to obey. Totally. Who is the Lord that I shall obey him? Man, that, that, I mean, well, he was a God in his own eyes. Little G God, false God. Pharaoh didn't, at this point, didn't know who Yahweh was as the Egyptians worshipped many gods, many spirits. They worshipped gods of the Nile River, creation, fertility, um, protection from disease, weather, sun. Keep in mind some of those as we get to the plagues. There is, God didn't kind of just playing bingo, draw random things out of a hat as to which plagues he would bring. Each of these plagues is a direct attack, dismantling. Each Egyptian god was worshipped differently uh, with their own priests. They had all these own temples. Um, Pharaoh, all the pharaohs considered themselves as a god, and they were proud. I mean, whether they acknowledged God or not, they were still saying that they didn't need him. They thought that they could kind of call the shots in their own world. They thought that they existed on their own strength. They thought they were superhuman. I mean, pharaohs had their own writers, their own chemists, their own mathematicians and architects. I mean, it says, oh, they, they, even with the, uh, the Israelites there, oh, yeah, like, there's so many, let's like, make them make these two storehouse cities for us, you know, Pithom and Ramesses. Like, yeah, I mean, whoop, you know, like I say and it happens. So I imagine this only led to their pride farther, farther, further entrenching their pride, hey, their proud heart of not needing anything. So, yeah, you can imagine the level of deception and arrogance they had believing that I'm a God. Imagine the blinding Satan was having over their lives. How did God view Pharaoh's pride, do you think? Like Satan's in a sense. Yeah. Foolish. Open rebellion against him and his honor. Again, there's only two sides here. So it's not, it's not like he was on the fence. Pharaoh was full-on rebellion against God. 
and his honor. So God was going to publicly, he was, just, he was going to start to dismantle and undertake here on all these little gods and stuff in order to um, make a big story, a big stink for us today to know, for all the world then to know, but also to dismantle this superpower of the time um, and, and declare they're nothing in comparison to God. In doing this, God was declaring himself to the Israelites as the all-powerful and sovereign. Um, it's funny, I don't need to lick my finger for my iPad, but it's a habit. <laughs> <laughs> Turn, the page. <laughs> Turn the page. So I have this definition of sovereign. Um, it's not infallible, but uh, there's a few references there. Um, I think I pulled this from gotquestions.org. God is sovereign, ultimate ruler. God has total control of all things past, present, and future. Nothing happens that is out of his knowledge and control. All things are either caused by him or allowed by him for his own purposes. Through his perfect will and timing, he is the only absolute, all-powerful ruler of the universe. Total control. Nothing happens. All things. Through his will and perfect timing. So after, after Pharaoh asked, who is the Lord? God told Moses to throw his shepherd's staff. This was a sign that uh, he, was, he was told in the desert to bring. Threw his step, shepherd's staff down to the floor to show him God's power as it was turned into a snake. Interestingly, Pharaoh's magicians, sorcerers, did the same thing. It is kind of, mis I remember, yeah, when I was a young believer, um, kind of like, wait a second, like, how can that happen? How can, you know, the, yeah, the good and the bad both be doing something similar? Um, I remember when I was back in the day working in Alberta as a firefighter, I had, uh, Lac Labiche has a ton of Lebanese people, which like nowadays they tend to be Muslim. Um, and uh, I was working with one summer with one of the Muslim guy locals there, and I was like, getting into our fates and I was like well have you seen you know Allah perform a miracle for you and he said yeah and at this point I'd been a Christian for like not even a full year I remember and I'm like really <laughs> like well dang Lord I thought you were the one of miracles like how does you know <laughs> and so I think like when I read this as a young believer too I'm like dang Lord I like why are these magicians pulling off but who who masquerades as an angel of light yeah. Yeah. And do you think, I mean, he is still powerful, relatively speaking. I mean, he, he's, uh, he's on a leash, but I think if he can keep people deceived, he will, he will somehow dole out some of his power to keep people in deception. Um, so what happens, though, you guys know the story, what happens to the magician snakes? Nom, nom, nom. Yeah. They get devoured uh, by Moses' snake. <clears throat> so, yeah, the, these magicians, they had their counterfeit miracles, but they ended up being overwhelmed by the power of Moses' God. And, and it's important to grasp that here because our God is bigger. There is a bigness of God that is displayed in that story of... Um, no, not there. But, yeah, in... In that picture of Moses, Moses' snake eating up the others. Um, something else that I heard today that I thought was fascinating is, did, did the magicians do anything original? No. No. They were copycats. Yeah. yeah, they only copied what they already saw done. So again, another sign of inferiority. So... These sorcerers, I mean, I kind of already let the cat out of the bag, but did these sorcerers' power come from God? These magicians' powers come from God? I'm seeing heads Technically. shake. <laughs> Technically? Because of their existence? No. 
Because where did the power come from? If it was for Satan, Satan came from God. <laughs> Satan came from God. All right, Kevin out of the picture, everybody else. Gonna... <laughs> no. <laughs> Play by the rules, Kevin. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Satan was using, there was a level of power from Satan that God allowed for this counterfeit display to happen. And of course, in God's sovereignty, he was going to use this to leverage and, and just blast things out of the water to get the Israelites out. Yes, that's the big picture for sure. But the small picture, God was not causing the deception to take place here on the, yeah. as we kind of hone in on the microscope of this event. Uh, and God overpowered the trick by making, of course, Moses' snake eat and his. Minor detail here, but it was Aaron's staff. That's Sorry, thank you. You're right. I wonder if by leadership it was still Moses' snake. It might have been. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's a mute point. Um, but thanks for keeping me accurate to the, the word. So what happens to Mo, uh, Pharaoh after this? Does he, does he submit? Nope. No, he doesn't submit. He, he's arrogant. He denies the request to let them go. God ends up sending plagues against the Egyptians. Uh, after each plague, God gives Pharaoh an opportunity to obey. But when he refused, God sends another. Again, God had a purpose in this. And then Egypt was devastated by nine plagues at this point, nine plagues. We can read about it if you read the chapters 7 through 10 of Exodus. I'm not going to take us there tonight. I know you guys want to get home eventually. Um, here's a picture, just a quick summary. So, I mean, they had, the, the Egyptians had the, the, you know, the god of the Nile, uh, of well, frogs or whatever, these animals, all these things, the weather they thought they could control. They, they worshipped their animals, um, the weather, the sun more bugs, their crops that, that were devastated, the darkness, the sun god. So here's the plagues that come. The water turns to blood. They get infested with frogs. The people get insanely bothered by lice. Flies just dominate the scene. Their livestock, the Egyptians' livestock, is, is killed through the plague. Boils on the people from the richest to the poorest. Hail fell on them all. Um, Locusts and then darkness that fell on the land. Which you got today in the uh, east somewhere, like locusts somewhere. Lots of locusts somewhere. Oh, yeah, yeah. Same thing, right? Well, I wouldn't say same thing, but locusts do exist today. Yeah. Is there a tradition that it didn't enter the land of Goshen? Right, where the Israelites were. And so some of these, some of these didn't affect, like, I don't believe the Israelites' livestock were killed. I don't believe that, uh, what was it, that the hail fell on them or their crops were devoured. There was protection. God, God was protecting his people still, which was miraculous again. So there's actually, oh, sorry. How long is the time? Like, you know, there's many things that we talk about. It seems like it's a week, but it's years or it's, there's right. such a time that they've got to trust God. Like, over the time period... I'm not certain. Does anybody have any knowledge of that? Like, how long each of these plagues lasted? I mean, some of them would have, like, I mean, you think of how long people need water for. And so you just kind of process that. Like, I'm sure something would have had to have been done before the entire world there was wiped out. They needed water. So I don't think that could have been months. Um, I don't think they were super long. But time in between them. Yeah, some, yeah, I'm not sure if it was days or weeks. 
Yeah. We're digging in. Yeah. And some of that I don't think has eternal consequences. It's more fascinating, maybe on some level. And sometimes um, if we just don't know, then we just have to say I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, not re but don't don't get marginalized by the margins. But I've heard. But I don't think it was a long, from my recollection, because then at the end, I was just thinking about the next day. But yeah, we see Exodus 9.26. It says there was no hail for the Israelites. In Exodus 9.7, no dead livestock of the Israelites. Um, God was looking after his people now, or still, but in very uh, vivid ways here. Each of these plagues that I was mentioned was, was hitting these pillars out from underneath the Egyptian gods, false gods. So, I mean, the, the Nile River into blood, that was defying their faith in happy, H-A-P-I, the spirit of the Nile. The, the plague of the frogs crushed Hek, H-E-Q-T, the frog goddess. He sent lice, which belittled Seb, S-E-B, the god who protected them from lice. He sent a plague of flies, defeating the fly god, Utachit. Then he killed their livestock, trampling the four Egyptian gods that, who were designed to protect them. He sent terrible boils, scorning the three gods of healing and epidemics as nothing. Hail and lightning followed that denied the four gods of the atmosphere and agriculture that they submitted to. He sent a plague of locusts to destroy their faith in the protector from locusts. He sent uh, three days of pitch black darkness, which dismissed the gods, which including, included their su supreme deity, the sun god Ra, R-A-H. Isn't it fascinating? Like, God is not random. We, we know that God is a God of order from creation. Even here, he is a God of order amongst what appears to be chaotic uh, events. He is one by one. And this is setting up the scene for what we know will come, that he promises to send them out with a wealth. Well, you know, these people were getting things stripped out from under them. Why were they going to leave with wealth? Because also a lot of the Egyptians came to see what, in their hearts, what was real. Just to go back onto the time thing, uh, the only three plagues that are stated that have time, there is no length of time stated in Scripture, uh, but the first plague lasted for seven days, and then the ninth plague was three days, and the tenth plague was one day, or one night. One night. And so, but uh, there's no actual length of time between, or how long it took, but the general is anywhere from a couple months to a year, apparently. Hmm, that but long, wow. Again, it's not actually stated within Scripture. Yeah. Except for the one seven day. The one seven day, yeah. Yeah, like the, the three, there are three plagues where it states how long the plague took place, but there's nothing that says how long between plagues or how long all ten. Except, except for the one that says seven days passed. Yeah, that's what he's saying. He's saying that one is there. Yeah, but the, the first plague lasted seven days. With seven, yeah, seven days passed after the Lord struck the Nile. So that might mean that it was what, bloody for seven days. Yeah, I guess this interpretation takes that as it was blood for seven days, yeah. not there were seven then, more days before the yeah. frogs. Yeah. Right. So as we see all these plagues come through, how well did the gods or spirits of Egypt do against God, against a true triune God? Yeah, they were crushed. I mean, not only not too well, they were, they were crushed because they, they totally failed. What they thought they were, they weren't. 
what the who the Egyptians thought they could trust, failed them. Have we seen God fail anybody up to this point in time? No. So, so, so yeah, so God was stripping these people's eyes, who they could trust and who they couldn't trust. They, yeah, yeah. And God was showing that all they've been believing in, all these gods are just lies, false, made up, make-believe, nothing in comparison to Yahweh. So how did, I mean, Pharaoh himself was considered a supreme leader god or whatever. How well did he do in his fight against Yahweh? Any better than all these other gods? No, he, he hasn't used, been able to use his pride, power, strength to, to change anything here. They, it says that these things were, a lot of these things were in the palace. They, they were affected by them. Thanks for adding the problem. <laughs> you idiot! We've already got 30 billion frogs and you just made more. <laughs> You're fired. Yeah, I would have thought that we could have actually made them disappear. Yeah. That would have been a bit more impressive, but nope. We can give you more. Yeah, great. Thanks, boys. Are, are we not seeing God's sovereignty here of Him being in total control of all things right here in the present. Nothing happening outside of his control. He brings these things in. He takes them out, these plagues. He causes them. He's allowing these to happen for his purpose, to get the Israelites freed. And through his perfect will and timing, we're, we're talking about how many days in between, how many plagues. But he is, he is stripping them down to where he needs the, the world scene at that time to be for this all to unfold. He is sovereign. He's the ultimate ruler. No, can you imagine? Exodus nine nineteen. Oh, what the? Anyways, looks like I'm. Let me see here. Nine nineteen. I think I have a typo on my page. It's six. It's, it is sixteen. It says here. But I have raised you, Pharaoh, up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So it says right here, God's word, verse 16, that Yahweh was also going to use Pharaoh to declare to all the nations, even to us today, that he alone is God and there is no other. The story is still told today. We're telling it right now tonight. Helping to proclaim the name of the Lord. God did all this to the superpower of the day who was advanced in education, advanced in culture, had everything at his fingertips, religion, science, whatever he wanted. God alone is to be feared, though, and worshipped. He alone is supreme ruler over all, the whole earth. He is to be glorified. He's not going to share it with another. He alone is to be honored, trusted, and obeyed. God protects. You see the Israelites, the promise that he maintained. Um, even amongst the plagues, he protects them. He provides. He brings Moses to, to deliver them. He pursues. He gives Moses a message of who he is to tell them, to remind them of his covenant. And people were helpless. They had no way to help the situation. God still desired for them to know him. And he displays his power in mighty, mighty ways. How are people today similar to Pharaoh, thinking they can defy God and win. Play by their own rules. 
thinking of the, the illustration of being the Titanic, the person who built it said that nothing can sink this ship. Yeah, even God, I, was he said even God can't sink this ship? Yes. Yeah. yeah, that was foolish. There's a few things that have come up lately about people would say. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, a lot of people just, I mean, a lot of it even I think is ignorance, not unknowing ignorance, but blatant ignorance. I'm choosing to not believe the message of the word. Rejection. Yeah, rejection, rebellion. So they think they win, freedom, tolerance. But when you win that way, what have you lost? Everything like Lot did. Yeah, and more, because Lot was right, righteous. I mean, when, when, you, when you continue to rebel and think you can win against God, you, you're losing protection, His protection. You're losing His provision. To their debased thinking, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, God wants restored relationship with people. But there's always a consequence. And He only... Seem, I mean, He gives many, many chances, but... Like with Noah there, 100, 120 years, he gave time. But there came, there came a time. And it says in the Word, in God's Bible, it says that our days are numbered. So us too. We have a time frame. Um, so as we look at these things that we penned up behind me here, of what does our culture see as a superpower? Um, do any of these things win on God? Education, money, religion, politics. Science, tradition, priests. No. no, God will still crumble it. Yeah. I'm standing right in front of it. Can anyone but, but Yahweh rescue each and every person? No, only one. And, and if we think we can be like Pharaoh and, and uh, the Egyptians who defy God, do we win or do we lose? We lose so much, so much. So in conclusion, let's remember what lengths God goes to, what, what lengths God went to. I mean, I believe all these events through history were for us too, right now. Not just for them and those and us. Now, he moves heaven and earth because he pursues us. He wants relationship with us. He, nothing can stop. Remember? With that never-ending, never-stopping, unbreakable love. So even today, God's faithfulness to his promise to Abraham continues, and yet there's a greater promise to each one of us that hinges on God's faithfulness to Israel, the coming deliverer. God's faithfulness and power in setting Israel free from Egypt declares, proves true to us that he can set us free from Satan, sin, and the lake of fire. So what is our response to the one true God? Do we continue to be proud and defiant? Or do we humbly submit, realizing and seeing and believing, taking faith and putting it in his word that what he's done, the great lengths he's gone to, he says, come to me. Fall into his embrace. It's not work. It's not effort. He loves us and he longs for a relationship with us. As we emphasize these truths of God's character, we also need to emphasize um, our need to have faith. There's, there's a repentance and faith. 
we need to remember to apply these truths as we write them up here and li- or write the lies against the truth up here. We need to be applying the truth actively in our life. <clears throat> and as you guys, like the hearers, and as you continue to pass the message on to other people in, in your context, we must challenge people to face up to the truth of God um, and their spiritual condition if we're going to be prepared and those that we minister to be going to be prepared to believe in the gospel. Can't have, like, you know, when we were in the plagues here and God took all these different, you know, false gods and, and showed how weak they were, he was dismantling their worldview. He was taking it apart, saying, these are all the things you believe in, but I'm going to show you how false they are. The same, we got to apply even the same techniques today as we minister to people. We need to understand people's worldview because we can't have, we can't believe in Christ and then also have this other worldview that, that is not yet dismantled. Otherwise, you've got two potential valid, in your thinking, worldviews. And when you're weak, you can flop back to the other. But as you get inside of people's thinking, as you spend time with people relationally, discipling isn't, like this isn't discipling. This is just kind of a medium to grow and talk and then meet with outside of this to disciple one another. And as you disciple and as you meet with people, whether it's in Guatemala or Pelly or around the community or right here in Whitehorse, um, you got to understand where somebody's coming from so that when you speak the truth, you can also use God's word accurately to be pressing against um, and dismantling their worldview. And God's word is designed for everybody. It's not just for a certain people. It's not just for a certain set of worldviews or world beliefs. It's, it's to dismantle all lies of the devil and to show that there's one deliverer, one way. And God will ensure that he uh, pursues, protects, provides helpless humanity. Amen? I think that that, for me, is the one thing. This is like the foundation being able to, I feel more established hmm. in my foundation so that when I hear these other things, I'm not swimming with them. I'm beginning to get real walk solid foundation. Awesome. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man goes to the Father but through him. And, and why? This is really coming through to me. Awesome. That's sweet. <laughs> but in this place here, I can see Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> This is my foundation. Yeah. To deliver. Okay. Yes, to deliver. To deliver. Jesus, the deliver. Forget to deliver. <laughs> I forget that word that I used. Yeah. It's almost a swear word until we get there. <laughs> no, it's a great word. It's a great name. Deliverer. Right now, he's the deliverer. Well, it's good going at the word this way, I believe, for all of us to practice this exercise because it allows the word to paint the picture of who he is, of who the deliverer is, why he's a rescuer, how he's already, God has been rescuing and pointing them to the ultimate rescuer. Uh, I mean, it, this just reconstructs our theology in such a healthy way, going through the word, that, you know, foundationally. It doesn't matter how you feel. It doesn't matter what you think. It, the truth remains. And um, something I always like to go back to for an analogy is like a stop sign. It's like, there's a stop sign. You can obey it or you can disobey it. You can run through that intersection, but there'll be a consequence eventually with the T-bone. 
Um, it doesn't change whether you blow through it or as you blow through it, it doesn't change the fact that it's still telling you the law is telling you to stop. And it's like, as we learn God's word foundationally, there's laws of God, that he is eternal, that there's consequences for sin, that mankind has fallen, that God pursues. Those laws don't change because our God is eternal, holy, and perfect and faithful. And so you can ignore them, but you're going to get T-boned. That's the law. That's gravity. That's just believe it or ignore it. You know, you don't change it. And so I think foundational learning of the word gives us that stronger foundation where at least you can not ignorantly rebel, but you would be rebelling in total truth of knowing the truth and turning your back and saying, I'm accepting these consequences, which is utter foolishness. Um, and I would not recommend that. But the truth stands. It stands a high and above beyond our best thinking. And you can't defy God and win. We see that with Pharaoh. We see that with people of Noah's day, Babel, Esau, on onwards. Yeah, it's cool. Thanks for doing this. Yeah. Yeah, obey, believe, repent, have faith. Yeah, in the one way, not in your own way, or many ways. God, it's so good that we can have some of our thinking, all of our thinking, just overhauled by you. Lord, a lot of us come from some biblical learning, understanding, background already, but Lord, I, myself included, there's holes in my thinking. God, we just invite you to continue to wash over us with your word this week and, and beyond as we mull over these truths that, that you protect, you provide, you pursue. Thank you, Lord, that this is the truth of who you are. You are all-powerful. You orchestrate all things. And Lord, we just want to submit to the truth of your word. We want to be servants of you, Lord God Most High. And we want just to, yeah, serve you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for what you're doing in each of the lives here tonight. Uh, Lord, we worship you. We thank you for the deliverer that we know of. In Jesus' name, amen.